Well, welcome everyone and good evening. Uh, we are doing another live episode of the ACB Advocacy Update in the ACB community. This is part of our programming leading up to the ACB DC Leadership Conference. Registration is still open. There is still time to register. Uh, registration closes on February 28th. So if you are joining us live this evening, that is tomorrow. So there is still time to join us for this year's leadership conference. We will kick off with the vir virtual portion on Saturday, uh, excuse me, Saturday, March 4th, and the in-person portion on Thursday, March 9th. Hi, everyone. I am Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and I am joined by my colleague and co-host. I am Swatha Nandakumar, ACB's Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And thank you to everyone joining us in Zoom tonight in the ACB community, as well as Clubhouse and streaming on the ACB Media Network. Uh, as we mentioned, this is part of the program leading up to the leadership conference where we are uh, going over and previewing this year's legislative imperatives. So last Thursday, we touched on the Exercise and Fitness for All Act, and we will be doing more legislative imperatives tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday. So without further ado, uh, to give the overview of another one of our legislative imperatives, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. Please take it away, Swatha Nandakumar. Thank you, Clark. Um, yeah, so this imperative is the Medical Device Non-Visual non -visual Accessibility Act. Um, this was an imperative from last year. It's our repeat, but we need to get introduced because we have new Congress in session. So last last Congress's bills were all are all done and over with. So this one yet the this time it's get new bills introduced. Um so what, what this bill does it is it um requires FDA to consult with the access board and create standards, not just standards for um what the FDA calls class two and class three medical medical devices. So what these are are these are slightly slightly more more invasive and carry more carry more risk if you use them incorrectly. Um that these are devices like um, heart, heart monitors or glucose monitors or um, pressure readers. So all things that have a digital inter interface that tells you like what's going on with what, what, you, what, what numbers are n n numbers and readings. Um, so these devices have, have historically been inaccessible, 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 inaccessible to blind folks and deafblind folks and visual folks because they do not have speech output or tactile markers or anything that kind of make it accessible for a blind person to use. So this bill was introduced last, not last year, um, 
21. By Jenshikovsky in the house, and it had no extended companion, but, but, but it was a person. So there was 60, over 60 co-sponsors and um, from both parties. So both Democrat and co-sponsors. So um, I will take, get, take it up, to, leave it to Clark to tell you um, a bit more about what it means for us. Thank you so much, Swatha. And I just want to highlight a couple things here. Um, yes, this was a bipartisan piece of legislation. So both Democrats and Republicans went on the record supporting this legislation in the House of Representatives, saying that this is important. The Food and Drug Administration must create accessibility standards for uh, remote diagnostic and durable medical equipment. Uh, and I apologize before for not recognizing the speak, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the listeners and the audience members that are joining us by listening to the Spanish language feed for tonight's community event on this legislative imperative. So thank you. Thank you to our Spanish listening audience as well. And as we talk about our audience members, uh, we want to talk about why this is important for our members, whether English or Spanish speaking. You know, many people in the United States who are blind, low vision, and deafblind also have additional either chronic or comorbid health conditions. Uh, we see this a lot with working aged adults in the United States who uh, have diabetes as the leading cause of blindness for people in this age bracket. And this is also uh, diabetes being a condition that disproportionately impacts people of color, such as people with Hispanic heritage, who may be more likely to be listening on our Spanish language feed. In addition to diabetes, we have older Americans that have age-related vision loss who may have other chronic or comorbid health conditions as well. And we know from data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that people who are blind and low vision, in addition to diabetes and obesity, are more likely to have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, hypertension, and heart disease. So this is why it's so important that these medical devices and remote monitoring equipment are accessible for people who are blind and low vision. If these other chronic and comorbid conditions were not bad enough, we just spent the last two years in the middle of a pandemic, a pandemic where going out and about and taking trips to the doctor's office became more dangerous unto themselves. During this time, we saw rapid growth in the adoption of telemedicine and virtual doctor's visits. Many of these visits and appointments uh, are done in conjunction with home and remote monitoring equipment that relays information to our physicians, to our doctors. It's important that people who are blind and low vision have the same independent and private access to this equipment, to these medical tools, as the rest of the population. 
so that they can be used safely, they can be used effectively, and that they can convey vital and necessary information to our care teams. Once we have accessibility built in to these products, the end goal is a world where people who are blind and low vision have more control, more independence, more privacy, and we can take back control of our own health. I'll now turn it back to my colleague Swatha Nandukumar to talk about what this means for ACB's larger advocacy efforts. Yeah, thanks. Thank, thank you, Clark. Um, so uh, we have a committee or several committees focused on health and wellness. Um, this includes our Get Up and Get Moving campaign, our committee, not campaign anymore, our committee now. Um, also, our committee that deals with advocacy services and information access, those all you know, have been on the front lines of, of having, of encountering accessibility, accessibility of our medical medical devices and our in our um at home diagnostic equipment, like Clark mentioned, glucose monitors and heart monitors and all the devices that you might need to use in our remote in our remote telehealth telehealth visit. Um, we also have an affiliate ACBDA or ACB Diabetics in Action, which um deals with which advocates for and deals with people with diabetes and um. In, in addition to, to blindness, so this is not a new issue for, for any of them, and it, yeah, it's not an issue for any of them. And um, this bill is really kind of a great way for us to advocate for the accessibility to be to be built in at the outset and not at the at the, at after as retrofit. So. This bill really really promotes accessibility being built in in at at beginning beginning stages of development and not at the end like as been after ever thought as most things are if you can encounter of things um also this bill has been introduced introduced last introduced in the last congress and um it is bipartisan and bipartisan even though it's not um even though it was not in um, both introduced in both in both chambers of Congress in um, both the House and Senate, we're hoping that this year, with the momentum it had from previous from from last from last Congress, that this bill will be bipartisan and by and by Campbell that will be that will be, be sponsored by both parties and um, introduced introduced and sponsored in both in both Senate and that. In both the Senate and the House. So, Clark, you want to add else? Thank you, Swatha. And at this point, I would just like to again urge everyone: please join us in advocating for another one of our legislative imperatives: the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. And please urge your members of Congress to co-sponsor this important legislation once it is reintroduced in the 118th Congress. Like Swatha said, we 
are excited for this bill to be reintroduced in the House. We are optimistic with the work that was done. This bill will be introduced in the Senate and in both chambers of Congress. This must be a bipartisan piece of legislation. So again, keep advocating and support the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. Yeah. So I think now we can move, we can move on to Q&A, right, Clark? Absolutely. So if we could uh, ask one of our uh, hostess with the mostess, Deb Cook-Lewis, if you wouldn't mind running through the options we have this evening for how folks may ask a question. Okay, we have the uh, usual Zoom way of asking questions, and Travis Butler is helping us over there. So if you'd like to raise your hand in Zoom, um, Travis will call on you. And um, we also have the Q&A box, and I do have a question in the Q&A box. And I had to step away for a second to uh, resolve a technical thing, so I may have missed if this has already been answered. Um, But you can use the Q&A box as well. And um, so those are both those are both available for you to uh, to do. And we have Clubhouse. So if you're in Clubhouse, uh, Jane is over there for us and uh, we'll take questions uh, in Clubhouse as well. So you've got lots of ways to uh, chat with us. And, and Mike, the question that I have over here um, in the Q&A box uh, was from uh, Ray and he was clarifying whether uh, represented or whether uh, Representative Jan Chakowski from Illinois had introduced the bill yet because uh, this was his understanding that she would be doing that on February uh, 21st. Great question, Ray. We have not seen this bill introduced yet by Representative Chakowski. That was our understanding as well. Uh, We do anticipate this bill being introduced before the legislative seminar, which (laughs) I can only say this so many weeks in a row before we're no longer before the seminar, but we're still hopeful it'll get introduced before the seminar and that we will actually have bill numbers that we can share for folks to advocate with. We do have a couple hands in Zoom, if you're ready for those. Yes, please, Travis and Mm -hmm. Deb, thank you for that overview. All right, the first is a phone number. It's 510 ending in 405. Hi, Dirk and I heard from Berkeley. You say it's a bipartisan bill. Last year, how many Republicans and how many Democrats voted for it? I think it was 60 Democrats and three Republicans, right, Clark? Was that numbers? It was indeed. So a little lopsided, uh, 60 Democrats and three Republicans in the House of Representatives. But you know what? We will take that. We have that plenty of room for growth to even that out. Uh, But it is a bipartisan bill nonetheless. Uh, Sad state of affairs that we only have free Republicans, but thank you for knowing the answer. All right, next we have a phone number. It says 715 ending in 443. 
And hello to our individual with the 715 area code. Hey, the first time I allowed him to talk, it didn't work. Looks like it did that time. Hello, this is Jennifer. I was having trouble unmuting myself. Um, I we can hear you now. Okay. I was uh, talking to my grandma the other night, and she wants to know, uh, she lives in a different state, but she wants to know what can she do to help us get these things passed. Absolutely. Uh, that's a that's a great question. And Swatha, would you like to begin? Yeah, sure. Um, so we are pushing for um, all of our members who are attending the legislative seminar to, to talk about this bill with the member of Congress um, by by a meeting. We can also call them or um, send them an email. Some of this do email so. Um, that number to call the Senate switchboard to get your to get your um office is two zero two 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 four three one two one. And so if you call that number at and tell them you're from um let's say California and you want to speak to your representative um I don't know rice i can't remember it now, but yeah that one um so if you want to and they will connect you connect you to that individual and to the office or not the administrative office and and to add to what swatha is saying so we're providing uh information on these legislative imperatives as well as information on how affiliates can contact their members of congress if you want to share that with your friends and family by all means go right ahead if you are able to enlist the support of folks such as your grandmother, uh, your neighbors, and they want to contact their member of Congress as well, telling telling them to co-sponsor the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. That that is great. That we need all of all the allies that we can get mm-hmm. when trying to gain support for this legislation, this imperative. Is there um, a place where I could find uh, wording to do um, to uh, not only help myself if I were to call, but to help my grandma and anyone else who wants to help support any and all of these things that we are trying to get past? Absolutely. So a couple options for you on the ACB website, acb.org, you can find information for the DC Leadership Conference under news or top links. Um, And on the page for the DC Leadership Conference are our legislative imperatives. You can also talk with your uh, the leadership of your state affiliate because your state affiliate is working to organize meetings with their with your representatives and your senators so they will have the the legislative imperative information and they'll be able to provide you with some guidance and talking points related to the legislative imperatives and then last but okay. not least you can always email 
advocacy at acb.org. And Swatha would be more than happy to follow mm -hmm. up with you to ensure that you have the, the resources and materials you need to conduct this outreach. Yeah. Isn't that right, Swatha? Okay, yes, I wanted to do that. Thank you, Clark. Thank you very much. And then I do not have to attend this in person to make a difference. Is that correct? We you could you could have to attend or um yes, we do have virtual and in person options as well as um your offices also have virtual and virtual and person virtual and in-person options as well so you can do it ever for com comfortable for you and it and um, yes you do not yes, have we, to you do not have to attend to be able to make a difference um joining here tonight you are helping to make a difference so if after this conversation this evening you want to run out and contact your members of congress please do so and go right ahead uh, we are we, of course, welcome everyone to attend the virtual and in-person leadership conference, but that is not necessary to advocate for these legislative imperatives. And one more. Oops, I thought she was done. Oh, that's, uh, that is, that's quite all right. That was uh, quite several questions there. So I think we're good yes. to move on to our next person. <laughs> all right, and I also wanted to ask if we have any more in chat or in Clubhouse. We don't have any additional uh, written questions. All right, uh, Karen, you are next. Okay, I hope you can hear me tonight. Yes. Yep. Beautiful. Are we? Are we also? I hope wanting to make sure that this equipment is not only accessible but accurate, because. We want it to be accurate, just like uh, sighted people have. Yes. Absolutely. So, so Karen, the, the Food and Drug Administration already has rules and regulations in place for uh, medical devices and durable medical equipment to be evaluated for safety and efficacy. Uh, meaning they, they need to be safe for people to use and they need to be effective. They need to be accurate, but they don't have rules for accessibility. Mm -hmm. right. So any, any device that is being made accessible will also need to comply with the rules that are in place for safety and efficacy. A great question. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to the great state of Illinois and ILCB for having a representative who's the lead sponsor of this legislation. Yep. All right, next will be Beth. Okay, hello, Clark. Hi. I wanted to ask you if, um, besides being um, accurate and uh, accessible, Will they be affordable? Because I know a lot of these medical products, uh, Medicaid doesn't, Medicaid won't cover, and uh, there's a lot of people, seniors and uh, people with disabilities that just have like Medicare and Medi Medicaid, 
and especially Medicaid, like in our state, they won't cover a lot of them won't cover like the talking um, glu glucometers and the uh, that that yeah the glucometers that you that you use with your in conjunction with your iPhone and stuff. So will it be affordable? And also, I was wondering if you do want to want to attend any of these Zoom meetings with the. Uh, the people in Washington, how would you do that? Could you attend it by Zoom, by phone, or no? Thank you for those two questions. Swatha, would you like to begin? Yes. Um, so this legislation only, only addresses um, accessibility, but we do recognize that affordability and coverage are issues that come up a lot so yeah i think the, the push is now to get these these agencies to cover these kind of kinds of direct devices in in conjunction with um accessibility but you're, you're welcome to bring it up bring it up with your with your representative or congressman congressperson senator as well so just to add, those are both important issues, right, Swatha? Both yes. accessibility and affordability. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but like you said, this legislation is specifically focused on accessibility. Um, we we continue to work on affordability as well, whether that's uh, you know low vision devices or Medicare and Medicaid coverage, um, and as well as the expanding um, expanding Medicare and Medicaid coverage for vision, hearing, dental, things like that. Uh, but this legislation and this ask is specifically related to accessibility. And then Swatha, the, the second question on um, how to be a part of the meetings with members of Congress. Oh yeah, that question. Um, so, so most affiliates are doing those meetings or or um, scheduling those meetings. So, I, I would I would reach out to your um, president or um, your chapter, local chapter, and, and like where you are, and um, just join one of the meetings. Or you can also kind of schedule your own meeting too. Exactly. Or a phone call as well. So. Yep, exactly. So if you want to participate uh, with the American Council of the Blind um, as, as part of the leadership conference in the Hill meetings, uh, just like Swatha said, contact your state affiliate in your local chapter and tell them that you'd like to be involved. Um, they may have, uh, you know, a, to have an effective meeting, they they may limit the number of members who are able to speak during a meeting with a congressional office, a member of Congress or staff. Um, but I'm sure that they would welcome the outreach and the help for coordinating and scheduling and attending these meetings. And as Swatha said, you Members of Congress are always there, whether you are reaching out on behalf of ACB or you are reaching out as an individual. Uh, 
So you can always contact uh, your member of Congress, whether your representative or your senator. And Swatha provided the phone number before. If you want to call the Capitol switchboard and be connected directly to your representative or your state, or excuse me, or your senators for your state, uh, different meanings there between state senator and U.S. senator for your state. And that number again, Swatha, is? 202-224-3121. And we have this on um, several of our pages on our, on our website too. Or our, our action alerts as well. So. Yeah. All right, Travis. You can also email us back if you need us. If you need the number again. So. Okay, just making sure. All right, Jane and Clubhouse, your hand was up, then it went down. Did you have somebody there? Getting no answer. We will move back in Zoom here to Alice. I'm sorry, we did, but um, he rates, he lowered his. Okay. So, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. I was just going to make a comment, Clark, um, about affordability. There was actually, because Medicaid is state by state, it would be behoove us to take these imperatives and actually talk to our state reps because, like, I know here in Georgia this year, the um, American Diabetes Association, for example, has put forward a bill to ask that Medicaid cover continuous glucometers um, for folks who are diabetic, period, not with just restrictions on you have to have so many uh, finger sticks a day or you have to be insulin dependent. And I think so if we want things like that to be affordable through Medicaid, I think it, it becomes, you know, a state um a state issue, so I would take the imperatives to the state, and that was just the comment I wanted to make. Alice, that's that's such a great point. Thank you. Yes, Medicaid um, is administered there on the state level. Uh, you know, many states or several states around the country have uh, provided uh, white cane coverage through state uh, Medicaid. So that that's a great example of. Uh, durable medical equipment like continuous glucose monitors where those items could be covered in terms of their affordability by the Medicaid program at the state level. So thank you for that, Alice. All right. Next up, we have Mr. Ray. Good evening, guys. Uh, Clark Swatha. Uh, glad to uh, be talking to you again. I just wanted to make a quick comment uh, also to Beth's point about affordability, and that is the more of this equipment that comes off the shelf that's accessible, the more we're going to have affordable equipment because um, if we can, you know, I mean, it's, I mean with the iPhone and, and other equipment and, and things, Apple and other companies have proven that you can develop affordable, accessible equipment off the shelf. And so the more equipment that we can make accessible out of the box uh, to Beth and others' uh, concerns, 
The more affordable equipment will be out there, the more likely it is that insurance will cover it if you need that. And um, it's it's just going to make for a better situation all around. But what we need to do is get the equipment accessible and um, get that it's required that that be done. So uh, uh, definitely uh, looking forward to um, work on this legislation. We've already got an appointment with our representative uh, on the 13th. Uh, to uh, talk about it. And we've also asked her to be an original co-sponsor. So um, hopefully that will, uh, uh, we'll move that, we'll move the ball forward on this. And that's all I have to say. So Rick, uh, Ray, before you go, uh-huh. uh, being from Illinois, uh, not only do you have senators that you hope co-sponsor this legislation once it's introduced in the in the senate for the first time but you also have uh, representatives who we hope are more supportive of this legislation while also being the home state of the representative who introduced the legislation so what are some of the what are some of the different conversations that folks from illinois will be having i mean so certainly you'll get a meeting with representative shikowski the sponsor How's that meeting going to be different than your other meetings? Well, um, well, we we haven't actually said that we're going to do that yet. We we probably will try to do that. One of the things, and actually, this is something that people need to be aware of, is a lot of times representatives' offices will only take um, contacts uh, uh, through the, the a lot of them. You have to email to schedule. And they'll only take that from people in the district. So what we're going to need to do is get somebody in her district to actually make that contact for us. But what we will do with her, as opposed to Representative Budzinski, who is our representative. So what we'll do with Representative Schakowsky is we will go in, thank her for introducing the legislation, and just talk about, you know, kind of to reinforce why it's important, what it means for people who are blind or visually impaired. Someone like Representative Budzinski, who is a new representative from the same state, but a new representative nonetheless uh, in Congress, we're going to want to um, talk to her about you know, why she should sign on as original co-sponsor of uh, this legislation too. Um, and um, the uh, and, and this brings up another point too, Clark, and that is, and I'll be real brief with this. You've got what we're going to have to get because the House is Republican controlled. We're going to have to get Republicans to uh, sign on to this bill uh, to get it over the over the finish line. And so um, <clears throat> this brings up the issue that uh, we've talked about in the past at legislative seminars before about how you speak to different political parties, speak the language and encourage them to support legislation. You know, for Republicans, it's 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 you say you, you talk about things like cost. It's going to be cheaper to have someone be able to be at home um, and monitor their own situations rather than having to always go to the to a doctor's office or something. You talk to them about um, privacy, you know, that, you know, that um, you know, no one wants to have to give personal sensitive medical information to other people. So um, I hope that kind of explains how different representatives, you have different types of, of meetings. So for those of you that do get representatives that sign on as co-sponsors, uh, you're going to want to thank them, but also reinforce why this bill is so important. And 
Uh, if you have pieces of drill of, of equipment that you can take with you that maybe aren't as accurate as you'd like them to be or whatever, I'd certainly encourage you to do that if you are having an in-person meeting and you can demonstrate something or even demonstrate something over Zoom. Uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing to do as well. And Ray, as somebody who works in the technology field, uh, certainly more cost effective for medical equipment to be accessible by design than retrofitted after the fact, correct? Absolutely. And, and, this, and this bill is nothing, takes nothing away from the wonderful companies out there like um, uh, LSNS and uh, MaxiAids and others who have put out equipment. But we're a small population, guys. If every piece of equipment out there has accessibility built in that anyone who needs it can use, it's going to bring down that cost. And you're absolutely right. If we design it from the ground up with accessibility built in, it is much uh, cheaper to do that. And I know Deb will agree with me on this, too, than to bolt it on at the end. Thanks, Ray. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up, we have Anne. Yes. Hi. Um, you said that this bill, you know, covers all um, pieces of equipment. So I, I just wanted to clarify that that it would cover a sleep a CPAP machine for sleep apnea too. That that's a great question. So the the Food and Drug Administration has different classes of products class one, two, and three. Um, class one products are um, items that a patient may contact, but they're non-invasive, right? So like a chair or a bed in a doctor's office. Um, class two and three products are products that are um, you know, designed to be in contact with, um, to to capture bodily fluids, or to be you know inserted or implanted in in the body. Um, so something like a CPAP machine, it is our belief that that would be covered by this legislation. Um, another aspect of this legislation is that it's designed to cover the products that are primarily intended for you know in-home use by the patient uh, versus products that are intended to be used by a physician or by a team of doctors in a medical setting um, so we really want to focus on the the items that patients will be using on their own and again for that reason we believe that once the Food and Drug Administration creates their rules, something like a CPAP machine, a continuous glucose monitor, a, a pulse oximeter, um, a heart monitor that measures your heart rhythm and things like that. Heck, a home chemotherapy system. Uh, they they exist. They're becoming more and more common. All, we think all of these types of products will be covered. So yes, we do believe a CPAP machine would be covered. 
All right. Uh, Casey will be next. Okay. I, I just want to make a comment on, about my experiences and uh, just to maybe help people out. Some are asking how to contact their reps and senators. There's two ways that uh, the, e the email form I found much uh, was not very personal. I was very successful in getting two reps, uh, one my former rep and, and my present rep, by um, right, using the uh, letter that ACB put out and put and fill it in, the, in my name and the representative and all that sort of thing. Uh, but before I did that, I contacted the um, congressman's office. They gave me a scheduler who then gave me the person who dealt with the legislative um, matters uh, for that for the Congress people. And when I emailed the legislative people, the ones who handled legislation, I, I immediately got two appointments. Now, the Senate, I actually did it on the email forms, and I got one letter that had nothing to do with what I what I wrote about, so I got to find out why that happened, and no response from another, so I'm going to go down a different track. But I think the most, the easiest way for people to do is get in touch with the person who schedules the meeting, and they will most likely respond to you and tell you who handles the legislative matters and who you can speak with either on Zoom or in person. That was my experience so far. Casey, thank you so much for, for sharing. Uh, Swatha, what do you what do you think? Hearing Casey share that the uh, the information that ACB put out about how to contact your representatives and senators to schedule a meeting that that was effective. I think it's effective, effective, very effective for, for this for our uh, here. Um, I would be happy to send that kind of um, template to, to anyone who emails advocacy.org and wants to um, or needs help in scheduling appointments. So you can reach out to us. Um, I can, or Clark and I can do it, can send you um, that kind of template. So. All right. Jane, uh, Clubhouse, do you? I, you have a question with the question there? Yes, we have Mike here. Hi, sorry you guys, I'm, uh, I'm writing. <laughs> but um, so I just came in, uh, I guess about five or six minutes ago or so, and um, I saw the topic of the room and was very interested. I have a um, I have a 16 year old with type one diabetes. Um, and is this what I'm hearing correct that I guess this act will make these things such as CGMs accessible? Is that what this is about? It's not, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, but it's not just CGMs. It's all, it's all kinds of medical devices that are like, invasive. Right, no, I, I meant. Oh, okay, right, right, right. I meant something, you know, as as well as like cgms um what about uh you know the ketone strip monitors you um you put the urine on a little stick thing and then you put it into the machine and it gives you a 
uh, reading as to if there's ketones in the urine or not. And some of them uh, work off, off blood instead of urine. Um, would that be one of those things? <laughs> I So to that, I would answer if that is a... Um, if that is an FDA approved medical device, then then this legislation, the rules that come from the passage of this legislation would likely apply to that. Okay. Okay, awesome. Good, finally. <laughs> Alrighty, well, thank you so much. I, like I said, I just came in on the tail end, and so I was just trying to get a feel for the room and everything. Absolutely. Thank you for the question. Thank you for joining through Clubhouse and for your interest in the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. And I have a question in the question box. Oh, first. Oh, second. Second question box question. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, it's the third because two people really did ask Ray's question. I just okay. validated it, but it was. It's good same. to have a question box moderator who can. Uh, that's right. You got to have one of these. Applicants. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so uh, Donna asks for this legislation. Who would help developers um, determine what is accessible and how to get accessibility correct? Is that a role that ACB is playing in the legislation, or how will that happen? So the bill right now has it so the FDA would, would consult with the access board and the access the access the access board is a um governing body federal agency that does work on standards for accessibility. So kind of through their experience experience in this and um through kind of comments and notice comments and kind of all of the input of a, of a, of a community and others um, that these standards will be set. Yeah, we always set by them. So it will, you know, work for accessibility. Yes. And, and the, the U.S. Access Board um, has a existing, some existing expertise in this, in this space. Uh, certainly as it relates to uh, the Section 508 requirements for the accessibility of technology used by the federal government. And those standards incorporate the web content accessibility guidelines. Um, so that that's a baseline, right? But when we get into the uh, medical equipment space, there, there's going to be some learning that needs to occur, not only by the Access Board, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, but also the companies that are involved. And some of that learning, as Swatha just said, will take place through the rulemaking process of notice and comment, where the public, um, companies, organizations like ACB and individuals can weigh in with their thoughts and opinions. Uh, but then there will also be ongoing advocacy work like ACB is currently doing, as well as other organizations, to engage directly with these companies to, to help inform them what exactly people with disabilities want and need, um, what people who are blind need, because I think we can all agree we are better off when 
uh, organizations like ACB and our members are involved with these companies, involved in the design and testing process, we, we typically get better results than when somebody brings us a finished product and says, hey, look what I did for you. Aren't, aren't you happy? You know, it's like, well, did, did you actually talk to anyone who's blind? Okay, well, let's, let's take this back to the drawing board. So yes, I, I think there's a, a lot of opportunities for um, education and learning and certainly a role for ACB to be involved in the rulemaking process, but as well as direct engagement with these companies. All right, next up, we have Mona. You may unmute. Hey, okay, it's Malena. <laughs> I think you mispronounced my name. Hi, Malena. No, there is a Mona too, but when she didn't come up, I, I invited oh. you to speak as well. So there's gotcha. two M's. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so uh, I might be um, asking um, in the wrong forum about this question. I, but I just now thought about it, and I know we've been working on this, getting this legislation um, sponsored and passed for several years. Um, I have a young niece who is fed through um, a feeding tube and a feeding machine. Would that fall under durable medical equipment? Does anybody, Clark, Swatha, do you guys know about that? So. So this bill does cover devices that have a digital interface. So if your um, machine have like a digital interface, so like shows data or shows number, then it probably should cover anything, right, Clark? I, um, not being a medical professional, I am. <laughs> um, I'm trying to make an educated guess here, but because a it sounds like this is a a feeding machine that feeds on a schedule, um, the, and the schedule is, it sounds automated and controlled, um, and the feeding tube is invasive to the body. Um, so I would guess that that is a class, likely class three medical device, and because of the the automated controls it is a device like swatha said with a digital interface um it's a relative it sounds like a relatively complex piece of equipment so it likely would not require a fundamental alteration or be an undue burden to the company to add accessibility to a piece of equipment like this. Now, I guess one thing to point out is that this bill would apply to equipment um, once designed in the future. It wouldn't require existing equipment to be retrofitted, mm -hmm. uh, but as as equipment evolves, as new equipment, uh, you know, just like any other piece of technology, durable medical equipment is being updated and revised and certified all the time so that that to me some of it is automated um but like if if i wanted to 
say I was left alone with her. (laughs) Say I was left alone with her for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. I would not be able to operate her feeding machine. I can't think of what it's called now. Um, Yeah. Totally drawing the blank. And this is something that she uses um, at her residence or in the home? Well, she's a minor. um, So... Um, you know, her, her parents, my, my brother and sister-in-law or my, my two other, uh, nieces or, you know, anyone in, in her family or, you know, at mm-hmm. school, they're, they're all able to, to operate it because they can okay. see what's on the screen. And, but it's, it's, uh, it's equipment that, um, is being monitored and used outside of a doctor's office or outside of yes. a medical facility. Yes. Yeah, she lives uh, at home. Yep. Um, okay. Yep. So uh, I would say yes. This is this is a great example of a type of device that we would like covered by this legislation and by the regulations. Okay. And and if you are um, going into a meeting with a member of Congress or their staff. This is a great example to share if you're comfortable, you know, yeah, and sharing I, it, sharing it in the, in the words and in the language that you are conveying it to us here tonight, you know, make, make it personable, make it relatable mm-hmm. about having a family member and wanting to assist and care for them, but not being able to, because the equipment's inaccessible. Yeah. And that's exactly what I would love to be able to do. And, you know, I, I've asked, you know, my sister-in-law if there was any way, because she's a, she's a RN, she's a registered nurse, if there's any way that, you know, the machine could be modified in any way that, you know, I could do it if need be. And right now, that's just not possible. So thank you. Of course. All right. We have one hand left here, and that is Mona. Am I on? Yes. Hi, okay. Mona. Uh, just uh, just a very quick comment. When we're talking to our representatives uh, and other legislators and their aides, uh, we also want to remember to mention that although we represent the blind and low vision and legally blind, this uh, act will also greatly help the non um, uh, the print impaired people. Yeah, we've got a, a large number of people who um, can see, but for whatever reason, cannot interpret print. Those the, the dyslexic. So, uh, even though we don't represent them, this will help those people. And Mona, uh, just to clarify, you mean having devices that have audio outputs will be able to help those who are print disabled? I think we lost Mona. I, I didn't muted. hear what he said. My computer talked over him. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll repeat it then. Um, so, Mona, what you're saying is that uh, having um, audible output of the information on the screens or the controls will be able to assist those who are print disabled? Yes. Yeah. Like my blood pressure kit, a uh, person who can't, for whatever reason, read print. Uh, people who are dyslexic, uh, some of the people who are autistic, um, 
people who have just for whatever reason not been able to learn to read print will be greatly benefit from this. Yeah. They don't have to be blind. I think that's a good angle to put it in as well. So just like kind mm -hmm. of make it universal, make it universal. So. And I think that one of the things that I really liked about that, um, Swatha and Mona, is focusing on the problem, right? Focusing on what needs to be solved and why why that's um, an impediment, why that's a challenge for people who are blind, people who are low vision, and people who are print disabled, um, not being able to have equal access to information, not being able to have independent control of our health is that's that's what's going to make a difference when talking to our members of Congress is expressing to them the problem with medical equipment today that this legislation can help solve. All right, you got about two minutes left. Just over All two right. minutes. So, Swatha, would you like to recap our legislative imperative and our ask here this evening? Yeah, let's see. I'll do that. Um, so, this bill, the Medical Device and Visual Accessibility Act, um, it would create standards for class two and three. So more invasive, more risky kind of, kind of medical devices to um, accessible for blind living folks. And as um, Mona mentioned, also for, also for print, print disabled folks, print disabled folks, print disabled folks, print disabled folks. So what we're asking tonight and for all of you to do at Leslie Seminar and on your, on your visits, visits, with, visits, visits, visits with your this is what Cong Congress people is to really push this imperative and push that we introduced in the Hajiji Congress and um, both the House and Senate. And we do hope that this becomes a bipartisan, bipartisan again, like with, la like with the last Congress. So we really want you to talk, talk to your Congress people about about this topic. Talk to them about why it's important. What you um, what it mean? What it mean to you to have accessible access to your to your own to your own health? So that's right. Thanks, Swatha, and thank you everyone for joining us here this evening to talk about the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. Uh, big thank you to our Spanish language interpreter, as well as our cart captioner, and the whole team from the ACB community and ACB Media Network that makes these events possible. So keep advocating for our health and the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. <laughs>